0: How are everybody feeling? (laughs) Hallelujah. Well, I am excited to teach on this one. Um, Interesting thing is that I've been uh, waiting to teach on sacred cows, but it's like every time I'm Done with one lesson, I'm still preparing sacred cows because, like, more stuff you keep added to it, and I get a whole nother lesson to teach. Like, okay, put that back aside, get something else. <laughs> you know, it's all about being led by the Spirit. Because the Father knows exactly what we need when we need it. Um, everything is in his perfect timing. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to pray us in. Um, Father... Once again, Father, as always, we just thank you, Father. Thank you for bringing us together, Father, on one accord in your name, Father, to just learn more, to, to grow more, to gain more understanding, Father, of this life that we are living. We thank you, Father, that we always have access to you. We always have access to your knowledge. We, also have, we always have access to your grace, Father. Father, we open our hearts tonight to receive all that you have for us to receive. Father, may we allow the seed that come forth, Father, to be placed in good soil, Father, protecting it, Father, because we know the enemy is going to come soon after to try to steal it, Father. But, Father, we guard our hearts. We allow our brother, Jesus Christ, to come in and do what he do, Father. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is upon me to do this this teaching, Father, to do your will, Father. And may every word, Father, that I speak be guided by the Holy Spirit, Father. All of you, Father, and of me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so this is Healing 101. We're still in 101 because this is still um, basic foundation teaching with um, healing. So this is follow the instructions, and I'm pretty much just going to go through scriptures um, showing you how when instructions were given and the receiver of the instructions, follow those instructions, they receive their healing instantly. So uh, that's pretty much what we're going to be doing tonight, just going through the scriptures and just showing you how this works. At least one of the ways that it works, and it definitely works. All right. So God made everything he wants us to have easy to receive. It is us that brings forth the complications, the struggles, and the difficulties to receive these things. Everything requires faith to receive, do, and become. Most of the time, what we want comes with destructions. Destructions lead to actions. Faith without works is dead. We're familiar with that scripture. In other words, faith without action is dead. Faith always comes with risks, whether big or small. Faith without risk is not faith at all. Doing what you know you can do is not faith. Walking through doors you know you can walk through is not faith. Faith brings forth the impossible, making all things possible to him that believes. So tonight, I will take you through the scriptures, showing you the importance of following instructions when it comes to being healed. When it comes to instructions, it's not about being obedient or or disobedient. It's about... Whether or not you want to be healed. The choice is always yours. When instructions are given, it is on you to activate your faith, then put it to work, not take into consideration the risk. The Father will not fail you. It is not our faith in him that is it. Sorry, it is our faith in him that pleases him. The, the more severe the sickness, the greater the risk, and the greater the faith. For example, it doesn't take much faith to heal pain that's in an ankle. However, it takes much faith to be healed of an illness that you're dying from. The risk is death. But if you lack faith to take the risk, you're going to die anyway or find yourself in a state of being that you don't want to be in that may be permanent. For example, in a wheelchair or on dialysis for the rest of your life. Um, women may lose their breasts due to breast cancer, or you may find yourself losing all your limbs, bedridden, and death, just to name a few. I have just a couple of scriptures from the Old Testament that we're going to look at. These two deal with one of, if not the most severe sickness in the Old Testament, leprosy. Now, in the Old Testament, having leprosy was a big deal. You were considered unclean. Touching anything deemed unclean had you kicked out of the group, out the community. <laughs> so it was a very serious thing to have. So in the Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 through 46, I don't have this up on the um up on there. This is something I have for myself. Um verse 45 says the the leper in whom the plague is His clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. So anybody that had leprosy had to be removed from from the community. Because anything they touch would be unclean. So it's that there's a ritual that is done to determine whether one to be unclean or clean regarding leprosy, that is. And this can be found in the entire chapter of of, uh, Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 13, it tells you all about the ritual that uh, lepers go through with the priests. So our first example for tonight is going to be Miriam. Miriam, as we know, is Moses' sister, and she's considered a prophet. So coming from Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Verse 1 says, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, they said, does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? Moses was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the faith of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Verse 5. Then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance of the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, God said this, listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased, resembling snow. When Aaron turned towards her, he saw that she was diseased and said to Moses, my Lord, now he's their Lord, my Lord, please don't hold against us this this sin we have so foolishly committed. Please don't let her be like a dead baby whose flesh, flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. So we're talking about a stillborn that's been standing bored for for a minute. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, "God, please heal her." The Lord answered Moses, "If her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she remain in disgrace for 7 days? Let her be confined outside the camp for 7 days. After that, she may be brought back in." So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move until Miriam was brought back in. So what is the sickness? The sickness is leprosy. Leprosy. The instructions was to confine Miriam outside the camp for seven days. What I want to point out is verse <laughs> Verse 14. It said, the Lord answered Moses, if her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she remain in disgrace for seven days? I find it quite interesting that God compared what he did to a father spitting in his daughter's face. You don't want God to spit in your face. (laughs) Say, Lord, cut me with your blood, (laughs) but not your spit. That is very interesting because as far as God is concerned, both of them should have been fearful to say anything against Moses because of how close he is to Moses. He talked to them in riddles, but he talked to Moses face to face. He is very close to Moses, but they was not afraid to, to talk about him behind his back. But God hears everything and his discipline up to her. As a father spitting in a daughter's face was to give her leprosy. And it was like the worst uh, level of it. So much so, as Aaron said, she looked like a stillborn that's been in a womb for too long. (laughs) Our next example is Naaman. So we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Then we're going to skip to verse 5, all the way through to 14. So this is just, um, just a slight background for verse 1 of um, Naaman. So it say, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Verse 5. Let's skip down to verse 5. By all means, go. So at this point, um, Naaman had a servant who pretty much told him about the prophet that's in Israel. And uh, pretty much it suggests that he goes see the prophet about being healed. At least see the king about being healed from the prophet. So the king, Aram, here replies. By all means go, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets, ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Verse 10. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh would be restored, and you would be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought, that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So Jordan the River Jordan was pretty much one of the dirtiest rivers in Israel. So this was pretty much an insult to Naaman. Couldn't I wash in them and be be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servant servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, would you not have done it? How much more... How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, naming that is, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So what's the sickness? The sickness was leprosy. The instructions was wash seven times in the Jordan. The risk is infection from bathing in dirty water. Because Jordan, like I said, was one of the nastiest dirty rivers in Israel, which could have made the the leprosy worse. Probably even speed up the process of it. (laughs) Um, And for this man, embarrassment and shame was also a risk considering his status but I want to talk about verse 11 where it says but Naaman went away angry and said I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his lord of the lord god of the lord his god wave his hand over the spite and cure me of leprosy this is people's expectation When you're wanting to be healed, it's not about what you expect. It's not about how you imagine your healing will come, but what God is willing to do for you. You just have to follow the instruction that's given to you. Excuse me. So that's something that is going to happen as we grow. And, um, People, you know, come, Father, send a harvest, and they're going to expect a certain thing because that's what they're used to. They're used to the long process of healing, but when we're doing it right and led by the Holy Spirit, it's not going to take all what they expect. Healing's going to come quickly and very simple just by laying out the hands and them doing what they're instructed to do. So now let's look at the New Testament the healings that came with instructions. We're going to start with the withered hand man. and what I call him. <laughs> this is going to be in Luke chapter 6 verse 6 through 10. On another Sabbath, Jesus, he went into the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Now shriveled In the Greek means a member of the body deprived of their natural juices, shrunk, wasted, and withered. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So they knew this man had this problem. They had no intentions of praying over this man and healing anything like that because it's the Sabbath. So they actually was paying attention to Jesus to to see if he was going to do it. Because they know he would heal this man. And that would be exactly their reason to accuse him. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, verse 8. And said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up, the man with the shriveled hand, he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I asked you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. What was the sickness or the health issue? The man had a shriveled hand. I imagine it would probably looked something like that. Instructions given to him was to get up, stand in front of everybody, and then stretch out your hand when he said, Stretch out your hand. The risk of him keeping the instructions is the possibility of being persecuted by everyone, or at least the Pharisees. That was the risk that he had to take for his healing, a risk worth taking. Because he was healed. The next example we have is the ten lepers, found in Luke chapter seventeen, verse eleven through nineteen. A familiar story. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at the distance. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus. Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, "Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner?" Then he said to him, "Rise and go. Your faith has made you well, has made you well." Another virgin says, your faith has saved you. So not only was he cleansed, he was saved. So what's the sickness? The sickness is leprosy. What's the instructions? Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, why did Jesus tell them to do this? This is interesting because he healed lepers a different way. But these particular ones, he said to go and show yourself to the priest. Now, going back to Leviticus chapter 13, where this is pretty much the whole chapter about dealing with le- lepers, uh, leprosy, the priests deeming whether they're clean or unclean. So le- le- Leviticus chapter 13, verse 9 says, when the plague of leprosy is in a man, then he shall be brought unto the priest. So Jesus is instructing them to go show themselves to the priest. Now, the thing is, is that, They were already deemed unclean. They was already cast out. So what was the risk? The risk was being stoned. These men were already caught off from the community. For them to enter back in without the proper ritual from the priest would have caused a huge problem. Because when you're unclean, everything you touch is unclean too. So it would have been like an epidemic of uncleanness, (laughs) pretty much. Because this is 10 people, 10 people that's unclean walking through the community, walking through the village, possibly touching stuff. And other people touching, not even knowing. So, yeah, it's been an epidemic of uncleanness. <laughs> the next example we have is the lame man at the pool. And this is coming from John chapter 5, verses 2 through 11. Verse two. Now there is a now now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic Airmeric did I pronounce that right? Airmic is called Beseda, and which is surrounded by five covered porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. They used these porches to lie near the pool, which consists of the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. John chapter five is actually a verse that is not in all versions. So I picked this this one out of um, the King James versions, which pretty much explain why they lay there. But the the rest of the verses are CBS. So John chapter 5 verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. So whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever, whatsoever disease he had. So this is why they always got it there. One of the men, starting at verse 5, One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When, he saw, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? The man replied, I can't, sir. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on a Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on a Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. So what's the sickness? Infirmity. He was a lame man, couldn't walk or do much movement. The instructions were stand up, pick up your mat and walk. The risk was him possibly hurting himself more by trying to get up and also being persecuted by the Jewish leaders. Now, I want to speak on verse 10 with the Jewish leaders objecting, telling him he can't work as I mean, I don't understand how carrying your mat was considered working anyway, but they, I guess they was petty like that. So the law they said the law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Now, if the man had to listen, be careful of those around you that would try to stop, prevent you from being healed. You follow the instructions because they were given to you. It may not make sense to anyone else who did not receive said instructions or to someone who don't believe or have the faith, have faith or the level of faith that you have. Now, what if the man would have listened to the Jewish leaders out of fear? What if he dropped his mat? Can we assume he would have had dropped to the ground as well, losing the healing he just received through his faith? important to follow the instructions and not worry about what anybody has to say or what they think because you're the one who wants the healing our next example is the man born blind and i love this one i really do john chapter 9 verse 1 through 11 Verse 1 says, as he was passing by, he saw Jesus, that is, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. I must do the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes, the man's eyes. Verse 7, he said, go. Washed in a pool of uh, Siloam, which means sent. So he left, the man, he left, washed, and came back seen. His neighbors and those who had been him, who have seen him before, as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Like, it's me. Yeah, you got the right. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And I received my sight. <laughs> so what, what was this issue? What was his sickness, blindness, which he had from birth? The instructions was go wash in the pool of Siloam. The risk was persecution. Persecuted by the people around you, around him, and the Pharisees. Now, I just want to speak briefly on verse 2 and 3, where disciples asked Jesus who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind, because then this is actually touching in generational generational curses, Um, because according to them, when people have sickness or anything wrong with them, it got to be due to some type of sin. But Jesus made this statement here that neither the man or his parents sinned, that his blindness at birth came about so that God's work may be displayed in him. This is pretty much confirmation that not every every issue, not every sickness, not every problem that one may have is due to a sin. It may be just for the glory of God. <laughs> so there is no need to have this man to repent of anything. But he was scheduled in time by the father to be used to glorify him and it's exactly what the man is doing so even after you are healed of something you have that you have been suffering from people will always know you as the person with that issue they identify you with that sickness or that infirmity do not identify yourself with it any longer once you are healed don't identify yourself with wherever you was healed from you speak past tense of of the issue not your issue because we hear all the time, people who, let's say, heal for cancer, they, now they call themselves cancer survivors. <laughs> you still identify yourself with what you was cured from. You have to change the way you see yourself because with healing should be a change of life. As they said, isn't, isn't this the one who used to beg, which means he wasn't begging anymore now that he can see So further on, the man gets questioned by the Pharisees. They question his parents, then they question him again. The Pharisees calling Jesus a sinner. And John chapter 9, verse 25, what the man had to say, he he answered the man. He said, whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind and now I can see. Amen. That is so powerful because this would be the testimony of everyone that comes to Divine Generations. They're going to say, I was blind, now I see. I was deaf, now I can hear. Whether or not these people is a cult or a fraud, I don't know. One thing I do know is that I came in being pushed in a wheelchair and I left pushing the wheelchair. I was lost and in darkness. Now I am found and in the kingdom of God. I am a child of God. People can say what they want about us. It won't stop the many testimonies that will come forth. The problem would not be what we are doing. It would it be regarding what we are saying, what we are teaching. Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 43 through 44. Of course, we all know Lazarus' story, so I'm not even going to go through <laughs> his whole story. So we're going to pick up um, at verse, verse 39. Actually, it's supposed to be verse 39. Okay, I didn't, I didn't change it on my end. So verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. This is Jesus. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord... Martha the, the sister of the, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for, for four days. So we know they came, told, told Jesus, Lazarus sick, to come so he could be healed. Jesus didn't come when they told him to. He came later, and Lazarus has been dead for some time now. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So, what is it that he said that he thanked the Father that he heard? And that was the simple telling her that if she believed, she would see the glory of God. There was no hour of praying or anything like that. He just simply proclaimed, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that you heard what I just said. I knew you would always hear me. But I'm only saying this so they may believe that you sent me. Pretty much he's saying what he's saying out loud (laughs) for them all to hear that this is what he said. When he said this, when he had said this, verse 43, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So what was the issue? There was no sickness. The issue was that Lazarus was dead. The instructions was, come out. The risk that Lazarus took to obeying that was none because he was already dead. <laughs> so my question to everyone is If the dead can follow instructions, how much harder is it for you to do the same? With you being alive, that is. If the dead can listen, you should too. We have Mark chapter 5, verses 41 through 43. This is the little girl that Jesus raised. 41. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koum, <laughs> which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. And then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat again. He gave instructions to someone that was dead. And instructions was followed. She got up. He said immediately the girl got up and began walking. So when instructions come forth, all you have to do is follow the instructions. Don't worry about what people think, no, no matter what, how you may look. Following the instructions, wherever the instructions, if, if you was told to hop on one leg and you and you in a cast or something like that, just hop on one leg. <laughs> just follow the instructions. It works. It works. An important factor as well is that Jesus gave the witnesses instructions, too. He told them regarding um, Lazarus, he told him to take off the grave clothes and let him go he told the little girl parents to give her something to eat. So many miracles and healing would take place here. You must be ready to play your part in somebody else's healing. I'm not talking about the person laying the hands. You may be told to pick someone up out their wheelchair or something, or take off a person's neck brace, or rub oil on somebody's feet. You have a part to play as well, if that's what the spirit is leading us to do for someone who come up who need healing. So it's not just always about the person who's administrating the healing, but you may have instructions that help somebody get healed as well. James 2, verse 17, it says, in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. We must follow the instructions that are given by God. I was listening to Hart Ramsey. Hart Ramsey, he had a teaching I was listening to the other day. And he said that anointing is in the instructions. Our healing is in the instructions. Deliverance is in the instructions. As I said earlier, instructions bring forth actions. Even regarding a person that's That's being used to administer the the healing. So speaking upon myself, I can have all the faith in the world for you, but if I don't act on my own faith, my faith is useless to you. If I don't do what I hear the Spirit telling me to do regarding you, it does you no good, obviously. So not only do The person that's being healed needs to act on the instructions, but I have to act on instructions too, no matter how silly it may be. And if you don't act on your own faith for yourself, your faith that you have for yourself is useless. We're being prepared for what is to come, we're not growing and maturing in Christ for nothing. We're not becoming sons and daughters just to sit around and live perfect lives. Three reasons why we come to church. The third one is to co-labor. We are training. And soon those, soon those training wheels are coming off. Father is going to bring in the harvest. And we will receive instructions first. Then we will give instructions just like Jesus. He said he only did what the father told me to do. He only said what the father told me to say. So he received instructions and then gave instructions. People were healed. The lame walked, the blind received sight. People were delivered. So, this testimony is not of the Old Testament, it's more current, and in a sense, this didn't happen 2,000 years ago. (laughs) So, I'm using the testimony of a woman who we read last night in Divine Healing by Andrew Murray. So I'm giving a woman's testimony. So it says that for seven years, this woman had been almost continually bedridden. She suffered, she suffered from turbo, tuberculosis, tuberculosis, <laughs> epilepsy, and other sickness. She had been assured. She was assured that there was no hope for a cure If somebody tell you that, like, what, what can you do? Like, literally, hope was taken from her. But she, she found herself in a, in a meeting where a minister was teaching about healing. And so she happened to hear, if he has borne your sickness, why then bear them yourself? Get up, is what the minister said. But she thought, if I attempt to get up and fall upon the ground, what will they think of me? But the inward voice began again, if he has borne my sickness, why should I have to bear them? To the astonishment of all who were present, she rose, and although still feeble, weak sat down in a chair by the table. Now, this is someone who hasn't walked or moved in over seven years. From that moment, her healing made rapid progress. This woman heard what was taught, and in that, the the minister said, get up. The thing is he wasn't even talking to her. he was just teaching to the crowd, to the congregation get up, but she heard that. And she did just that Because she believed what was said, that if she don't have to bear the sickness, then she could get up. We have to keep that in mind when we're wanting to be healed, that our faith has to be put into action. So moving forward, what this look like is when we're laying hands on people, we're praying for people, and we receive instructions. It it Start with us first. We receive the instructions, and we do. And then we give the instructions to the person receiving healing. It's on them to put their faith into work. Just like it's on us to put our faith into work to do what we are given in the spirit to do. And when that is done, there's going to be masses of healing coming from, the, from divine generations. And nobody can deny the power of God here. That is, that is what we're looking forward to. This is why we're being trained. This is why we're becoming sons and daughters, so we can do the work that is given to us to do in a day while they're still light, amen, amen.